Thank you, Pastor Rich. You know, uh, I've appreciated Rich's ministry so much in these last few weeks as he has in so many ways had to shift some of his own uh, 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 ways of thinking about ministry and doing ministry. We're all adapting, and and I I just wanted you to know, you know, on Friday we were giving out uh, about 120 different boxes of produce to people in our community along with a lot of milk and and whatnot. It's just such a sight to see, and we know that uh, uh, God has has strategically placed us in a really uh, beautiful location because people can't help but see us as they're going back and forth. And so I, I appreciate the, the leadership that he has given us in regards to making some really vital connections to our community that remind us that it's good that the church is here in their community. And uh, so grateful for those of you who have participated. We have lunches that we're giving out every day to uh, school children. That's also been a blessing. So thank you all who have participated. I, I, I have just been overwhelmed. In this season, when there is so much change going Going on. And believe me, you have been gracious, patient, and even cheerful as we make these adjustments week after week. Uh, but I, from the bottom of my heart, I, I want to say thank you for your determination. We're going to get in. The, we're going to do this. We're going to be better. We're going to be stronger. We're going to learn how to be the light to our community to an even greater degree. And um, thank you for for your help there. You know, I I also wanted to just note this morning that we we lost one of our saints of our church this week. Not all of you probably knew Dorothy Haug. But she, uh, uh, she was a beautiful, beautiful saint who went to be with the Lord. I think she was 92 or 93. Uh, she had not been able to be with us for quite some time, unfortunately. But I remember her as a, an outstanding Sunday school teacher. A lot of the young people in our church will remember her uh, commitment to their to, to that ministry. Frank and Dorothy were the first people, when we came here 25 years ago, were the first people at our door to take us out to dinner. And uh, uh, we went to, a, I, I remember, it was a Chinese restaurant. I fell in love with Chinese and been eating it ever since. And uh, so grateful for their, their uh, commitment to our congregation. We'll miss them. Her, her homecoming celebration is on Tuesday morning at, uh, well, the uh, visitation is at 10 a.m., and then uh, the service itself will be at 11. So I wanted you to know that. I wanted to just recognize that uh, this church is founded on people who have gone before, who loved the Lord, and she was certainly an outstanding example of that. I'm going to invite you now to turn with me in your scripture to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32, as we've been talking about desperation, and I believe the Lord's led me here. This is an important message, I think, for us to ponder and think about. An unusual kind of passage, but one that you probably, especially if you grew up in Sunday school, you're, you're rather familiar with. Maybe uh, you didn't quite always understand, and maybe we won't even walk away today quite understanding everything. But I think the Lord has a message for us. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me in deference to God's Word as we open this together. Genesis 32, we're going to begin with verse 22 and read down through verse 32. As we receive this, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your Word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet. And a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. May I pray it in. Read it through. Live it out. And pass it on. Amen and amen. 
Beginning here with verse 22, hear God's word for us this morning. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford at Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and, as he, was limp, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Desperation precedes deliverance. Desperation precedes deliverance. That is the pattern we see in scripture again and again, both in the Old and the New Testaments. Desperation precedes deliverance. That means this, if you want to experience God's deliverance in your life, it means that you will have to be taken to a place where you are desperate to receive it. Desperate people get serious with God. Desperate people cry out to God. Desperate people will wrestle with their relationship with God. Having that in mind, I I want us to to look back and think about this moment in the life of Jacob where he was desperate. And what we're going to see as we look at this is that in those desperate moments, those moments, in fact, can be a powerful time when we actually experience God's deliverance. So before we look at this, let's face it, rather unusual wrestling match, I thought it would be uh, the most or make the most sense to give you some context about Jacob's life. So let's run through that very, very quickly. The first thing I, I think that we ought to note here as we think about this wrestling match is that we need to know that Jacob is not, in fact, a wrestler. He, in fact, is a runner. He's not a fighter. Jacob is a runner. Jacob tends to to flee rather than to fight. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, you know that he had a brother. His name was Esau. They were twins. Esau, in fact, was the older brother, and these twin brothers were very, very different from each other. You remember that Esau was born hairy and red. Uh, Jacob had a more smooth look to him. Genesis 25 says, The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So Jacob uh, was a little softer, a, more, a little bit more indoorsy. He, he, he liked to cook, we know that. Uh, and then with Esau, he's a hunter. He, he, he's gruff. He, he's rough. Uh, in fact, the next verse says that Isaac, his father, the father, loved Esau 
because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. The message paraphrase puts it this way. Isaac loved Esau because he was a strong and mighty hunter, but Jacob was a mama's boy. Now, that's not actually in the message that way, but I think it's really the paraphrase of the passage. The picture then is simple. Jacob could have never beaten Esau in a wrestling match. Wasn't going to happen. So so here is Jacob. He grows up in this home, and all his life he's hearing about the blessing of God. God blessing his grandfather Abraham, and then God blessing that was passed on to his father Isaac. And now God is going to, that blessing is going to be passed on to his older brother Esau. Jacob thinks, why don't I get the blessing? I want the blessing. I only missed it by minutes. And if I had just gone out of that womb a few minutes earlier, it would have been mine. What am I going to do? And you know the story. So Esau or Esau and Jacob are, are rivals at, from the very beginning there. And Jacob tricks Esau into getting the birthright, for instance, by, by making some stew. And Esau relents and, and he sells his birthright for a pot of stew. And then you'll remember that Isaac is old, he's blind, so Jacob pretends to be Esau by putting on some goat hair on his arms. He breaks into the medicine cabinet of Esau's and uses Esau's cologne, and he tricks dear old dad into giving him the blessing too. Well, after the blessing has been been given away, how do you think Esau is going to respond Well, Esau is angry. He wants to crack some heads. And so Jacob, we know, isn't going to fight, a fight that he would surely lose. He doesn't confront the situation. He doesn't have a difficult conversation. He doesn't even humble himself or say, I'm sorry. No, Jacob is a runner. And so Jacob runs away. And if you know the story, he runs where? To his uncle Laban. He works for Laban for several years. In fact, while he's with Laban, you remember that he falls in love. Jacob falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. She's beautiful. In fact, he loves her so much that he agrees to work for Uncle Laban for seven years in order to win her hand in marriage. However, if you also know the story, you know that Laban is a little bit like Jacob. And Laban gives back the same uh, medicine that that, uh, Jacob is given. And so Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Laban's oldest daughter, Leah. Now, the problem is she's not as attractive. Jacob wasn't into her at all. We don't know exactly how it happened. It was, you know, the wedding comes. It must have been dark. I'm sure there was alcohol involved. But the Bible says it this way. It says no more. But Jacob wakes up and the Bible simply says, in the morning it was Leah. And so he works it out, this deal, with Laban to work another seven years to win the hand of Rachel. So you get the dynamic here. He's working for Uncle Laban all this time. There is certainly tension and bitterness in the family circle. But again, Jacob never deals with it. He never confronts it. He never has a tough conversation. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details because it's complicated. But what we see is that again and again, Laban cheats Jacob of his wages. 
Jacob, on the other hand, turns around and he cheats Laban of livestock. Well, the gig is up. When Jacob realizes that the shady dealings are about to catch up with him, Jacob knows that everything is about to explode. What does he do? Well, he does what Jacob does. He runs away. In the middle of the night, he loads up his wives, he puts his kids in the car, his livestock, and runs away. And by the way, uh, when Laban finds out, he heads out after him. And Jacob's got about a three-day lead on Laban. So, so here's the picture. Uh, Jacob can't go back to Laban. That, that bridge has been burned. It will not go well. But he's also that he's headed toward his homeland, That is where Esau lives. He heads west. He hasn't seen Esau since he cheated on him and and stole everything. Now, Jacob wonders, how is this going to work? How is it going to go? How is Esau going to receive him? And so Jacob sends out some gifts ahead of him. He sends out some messengers. In Genesis 32, verse 6, they say to Jacob, Hey, we met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you. And oh, by the way, he has about 400 men with him. In other words, he's got an army of people coming along with him. And and of course, Jacob gets the message that doesn't sound very promising at all. It doesn't sound good. And so the Bible says, Jacob was terrified at the news. The NIV says Jacob was in great fear and distress. So here's the scene. Jacob can't go back to Laban. That bridge is burned. Laban is angry, and it would not go well. Jacob's on the run. Esau is in front of him, coming at him with 400 men, and it appears he's headed for revenge. And so the Bible says that Jacob is terrified. So again, we see Jacob do what Jacob does. He tries to control. He tries to manipulate what we see here in this passage is he tries to separate his wife and wives and his children, his possessions and his livestock into two different groups. What he's trying to do there, of course, is to minimize the losses. Once Esau arrives, he might attack one of the groups while the other group can run. But for me, what is so very, very telling is that Jacob doesn't choose to be with either one of these groups. He sends both of those groups on ahead, and he stays behind. He's a coward. (laughs) He doesn't want to put himself at risk whatsoever. So Jacob is scared. You could even say, to use a wrestling term, God has got him pinned before this match even starts. He's between a rock and a hard place. Nowhere to run. Have you been there? Are you there right now? I want you to notice something. And to me, this is so intriguing. It's dark. Jacob is all alone. And through the darkness, he hears the rustle of a stranger, a man. And along comes this man and challenges him to a wrestling match. Imagine that. Now, I don't understand all the dynamics of that. But what I do know is this. This is where it gets odd to me. The second thing I want you to note is is that 
even though Jacob is not a wrestler, once this match commences, it looks like Jacob is winning. When this man, this angel, as we come to know, or some even would say that this is a picture, and I believe this to be true, of the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus himself is there wrestling with Jacob. And when the man saw, the Bible says, that he could not overpower Jacob, the New American Standard Version says he had not prevailed against him. So imagine this, Jacob and God are wrestling but God is not winning. Now, does that cause anybody a little consternation? Wait, wait a minute. This is a bit hard to swallow. I thought God was almighty, all-powerful, and he can't beat Jacob. Remember, Jacob is a cook, but he's not beefcake. But, but maybe that's not as big a surprise as one might think. You know, one of the things I've noticed as a pastor, and I look around even today, how many people find themselves in a tight spot, desperate situation, they've made some mistakes, how many of you are wrestling with God today, but God is not prevailing? And by the way, it's not just one night, it's your story, it's been years Listen, someone in this very room, someone listening to my voice, you know what God wants. You know that he wants to, to, for you to put your full trust in him, put your faith in him, to say yes to his will for your life and not your own. You, you know that you can't make it to heaven on how good you are. You've passed that. You can't make it. You're not good enough. Yet there are those habits that you hold on to. Manipulating and controlling and lying and who knows what else. And you hold on to them like a wrestler clutching his opponent behind the back. We, we cling to patterns of sin. We, we know we've made a mess of our lives. We, we see where our sin has taken us and we know it, 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 it's, it's just made a mess. And maybe we're even in a desperate place. And yet, for some reason, we still wrestle with God. How many of us have wrestled with God and God has not prevailed? Now, there's another element here I find rather surprising. Jacob says to this man, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, never thought about that until this week, but it's interesting to me that, wait a minute, I thought Jacob already had the blessing. Remember, he stole it from his brother Esau. But I want you to think about that because this is what we learned. It turns out we can have all kinds of blessings in our lives, but if we don't have the blessing of being in right relationship with God, all those other things don't matter. In fact, my friend, the only thing that matters, the only blessing that matters, is if we are right with God. This is so very evident in our culture today. Last week I said there were two Americas, and 
that's an honest assumption and understanding. I think there are. I look at my life. I am a person and prince of privilege. I came from a solid middle class background with two parents who loved each other and loved me and knew how to discipline me when I needed it, knew how to encourage me along the way. I was able to pursue the calling and dream of becoming a pastor. I got a degree, a master's degree, a doctorate even. I have a home, a beautiful home with a beautiful wife and four children, five cars right now in my driveway. In fact, my daughter Faith turns 18 today. So my kids, you know, they're all getting older there, but I am blessed. I'm not, I'm going on vacation a little bit later this week for a little while. And, and uh, then uh, uh, we're, uh, I'm not worried about paying my mortgage next month. I have so many blessings. I, I see others, you know, and they have stuff. They've got boats and vacation homes and vacations and all these things. And you would look at them and you would say, well, they are blessed. And yet what we find is that those blessings are not necessarily tickets to satisfaction, are they? In fact, inside, so many who have so much, so many blessings are in fact lost and empty. They desperately desire something more. You see, what they're looking for is the blessing of having a right relationship with God. Listen, you can be blessed by God and have all the blessings from God without having the blessing of a relationship with God. And Jacob realizes this. And let me tell you, you will never be satisfied with God's blessing if you don't know the one who is doing the blessing. If you don't know the one who is giving the gifts, you're going to come up empty. Because I'll tell you this, he's always better than any of his blessings. Jacob wants more. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Some of you have been blessed and you have been blessed exceedingly, but you still don't have the blessing of a relationship, a saving relationship with God. And God is wrestling with you this morning in this place. But as the night wears on, you'll notice also that God does something very interesting. God takes Jacob and he asks him, what is your name? What is your name? Now, it's interesting to me because the truth is God already knows Jacob's name. The question really is, Jacob, do you know who you are? Listen, my friends, God knows who you are, but he always wants us to know who we are too. Jacob, what is your name? Well, of course, my name is Jacob. Oh, what does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew, if you know Jacob, the Bible tells us Jacob means cheater, manipulator, conniver, deceiver, grabber. What is your name, Jacob? My name is Jacob. I'm a cheater, a manipulator, a controller, a conniver. Jacob, you always want to be in control. You always want to get what you want. That's who you are. You lied to your father. You stole from your brother. You cheated your uncle. You are a master of illusion, a doctor of deception, a creative con man. 
You see, God wants often to take us to a place, especially in those moments of desperation, where he allows us by his grace to get us a clear picture of who we are. He wants us to know who we are so that we can see that clearly and know, I can't get out of this. I need help. The truth is, every one of us is a sinner. That's who we are. And if we don't get some help, we're not going to make it. We're going to die. Can can I just take a moment? During this uh, period when so many of us are wearing masks in church and I look around and it's always kind of a guessing game. Who is that behind that mask? Someone said to me not too long ago, you know, it's not really a big deal. People have been wearing masks here for years. Now they were kidding in a way. But I did think there was some insight there. A lot of us, we manipulate and we control how people see us. We like to act like we have it together. We're okay. We spend an awful lot of time figuring out how to look good when something else really is going on inside of us. We, we don't want people to really know who we are. Can I ask you this morning, what's your name? My name is Jacob. I'm a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, a controller. It's who I am. You realize this, when we come to a point when we know who we are, when we know that we're lost, That's when God can bless us. That's when we're ready to receive the blessing. Look at what happens. Jacob Jacob wants this blessing. (laughs) He gets a name change. Look at verse 28. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. Listen, one of the things that happens is, is if you really begin to wrestle with God, he will change you. He will not let you stay, Jacob. He will not let you stay a cheater. He will not let you stay in control. God wants to change you from Jacob, a controller, a cheater, a manipulator, to Israel. One who strives with God and men and is victorious. God wants to give Jacob a new name. He wants to give him a a new future, a new character. He wants Jacob to be a new person. In other words, Jacob, be born again. Listen, this morning, I believe that someone here or someone who is listening maybe through the live stream is is experiencing right now that, that interesting moment when Jesus is wrestling with them. He wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem you because Jesus Christ has himself already wrestled with sin and death and he won that battle on the cross. But he knows who you are. He wants to give you a new name, a new life, a new future, a new heart. 
In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, one of my favorite verses, it says this, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, let them hear, or I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. A white stone, a new heart a new name that he has for us. Whoever is what? Victorious. And what I discover is this. The only way we gain victory is to let God win. When we're wrestling with God, the only way you and I will ever gain victory is to let God win. Where we allow him to give us a new name, a new future, a new heart. Now, there's one more thing I see here. Well, actually, there are others, but I'm just going to point out one more. During the course of the night, Jacob is named Israel. But something interesting happens as Jacob wrestles with God. God touches Jacob's hip, and you notice that it it takes it, it ratchets it out of joint. It would leave Jacob to limp the rest of his life. This is the odd thing about wrestling with God. You will come out of it with both a blessing and a limp. Now, some of us in this room understand that. For some of you, this makes no sense. But I will tell you this. If you spend time wrestling with God, Jacob comes out of this wrestling match both blessed and broken. Jacob is a new man. He is now named Israel, but guess what? This runner can't run anymore. You see, it it occurred to me, this is not so much a story about Jacob holding on to God. And by the way, that's a good thing to do. You hold on to God when you're desperate, absolutely. But this really is a story about God holding on to Jacob. Jacob, you can't run anymore. And my friend, maybe this morning you're wrestling with God and God says, enough. Your run is over. I love you. I've come to believe that so often in the church, we try to hide our limp. We, we, we try to fool uh, others. We try to hide the scars of our wrestling matches with God. And I want you to know that we don't have to do that in the church. It's a part of your story. God has delivered you. Some of you were addicted to drugs, to pornography. Some of you destroyed your marriages through your own foolish pride. And you walk with a limp today. But God moved in your life. Let that be a part of your story. I I, I think for Jacob, it may have looked like this. You know, he, he limps back to the camp. He's ready to meet Esau. He's encouraged because he's received the blessing of God. But everyone notices what? He's limping. Jacob, what happened? <laughs> Jacob, you're limping. What happened? Well, first of all, it's not Jacob, it's Israel now. 
But second, there was this wrestling match with God that took place. My guess is that people love to hear that story. There's something pretty compelling about someone who tells a story about the time they wrestled with God. And do you have a story like that? Don't be afraid to tell it. I wonder if anyone right now is wrestling with God. He's got you in a tight place. It's a hard place. It's a desperate place. Maybe it's exactly the place God wants you because he wants to speak to you. He wants to bless you. That doesn't mean you won't walk away with some pain, but let me encourage you. Let him touch you even if it hurts. Because Jesus Christ wants to give you a new name, a new heart, a new future. That's what he does. Are you wrestling this morning? Let him win. And you'll find that you win too. Jesus Christ, even now, invites you to become a part of his family. He says, I want you to become a part of the people of God. And you can do that by just letting me win. Surrender your life to me completely. And you will be blessed. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray, Lord, for those moments when you make us desperate. Make us desperate for you. Help us to see ourselves clearly this morning. Help us to see our pride our tendency to control, our manipulations, our sinful habits, our way of running from you and running from the, the, the results of our own sin. And Lord, instead, help us to let you prevail, even if it hurts. I pray that our limp would be evidence of your glory, that, Lord, our stories would be filled with an understanding that God has touched me and I am changed. I am different. I have a new name, a new future, a new heart, all because of what Jesus Christ did when he wrestled victorious over sin and death on the cross. So that, Lord, even with our limp, we might walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Because we are called yours. We are called Christians, the people of God who follow God, who love like God and live to the glory of God. And so, Lord, even today, may we give ourselves to you completely. May we stop running. In Jesus' name, amen.